for this. Some might wonder, why don't you baptize babies? This is a Baptist church. Simply because that's nowhere in Scripture. There is not one single infant baptism in the Bible. It doesn't make sense for what baptism is. Baptism in Scripture is always something for the person who is of the age they can make the decision to convert to Christ. To repent and place their faith in Christ. And then the demonstration of that faith that God gives us is the act of baptism. It pictures a death, a burial, and a resurrection. That's why in every single baptism in the Bible, it is somebody who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of infant baptism did not come about till you get into the third century, is when that began, and you had, you had well, we won't get into the history of that. That'll be another topic. We'll just, we'll just stop right there. And so what we do is that is right, is a baby dedication. And that is really a dedication of the parents to that child, to Phoebe. Hi. You're way too adorable right now. Yes. Yes, she wants to preach. It's okay. It's really a dedication of mom and dad of their commitment to that child before the Lord. That they recognize that this child is, in fact, a gift from God. And they have a responsibility to raise this child. Let me say, well, how? Well, that's what Deuteronomy gets into. Let me read here, read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And this is what the parents are saying. This is what we, we want to do. Um, What am I thinking at? Yes, Deuteronomy, oh, chapter 6. That's what I'm looking at. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. One of the most popular verses in the scripture I've just forgot the reference to. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse, verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. We all recognize that verse. That is, that is the greatest commandment we have. From that, all of our obedience should flow. It's always based on love. We're even seeing that now as we're going through, through the book of Acts, as we saw through Ruth, the importance of love as being a motivation behind it. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And this is what he says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And so he's, he's instructing us the fact that we love God the very first thing he instructs after that deals with your family. After he gives the greatest command, he says, listen, now all these things, I'm going to give you children, and the Lord has blessed you with just such a beautiful child in Phoebe. And you are dedicated. He says, listen, we need to instruct this child. More important than anything else, more important than anything else is instructing that child in the ways of the Lord to teach her to love God more than anything. How there's nothing more important than that in her life. And see that? She just calms right down. That's what I see. Yes. But we certainly appreciate that. We need to be praying for them as well. And we have, we're going to have a word of prayer here with them. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll stand over here by them for it. Philip, I've got the red one here. If I can. Well, I got, no. There we go. All right, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I do thank you for the Lewises. Lord, I thank you this new family. It's just begun here such a, just a short time ago. I pray that you bless them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give them the wisdom, the patience, and the grace they need, Lord, as they raise Phoebe. Lord, we certainly pray for her salvation, Lord. When she that, reaches that age of accountability, Lord, we pray that she put her faith in you. 
Lord, I pray that all the days of her life that she would love you and serve you and serve you because she loves you. So please be with John and Rebecca. Lord, give them the wisdom, knowledge, and grace they need. Lord, we love you. We pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let me give you this bag real quick here. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) She wanted my pen. What's she going for? I'll take that pen. They've already taught her to shake hands. They're doing a great job. That's pretty good. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse number 7. Still the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Ask and it shall be given, uh, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or, what man is there of you, whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, look look at where he goes with this now. It's interesting, isn't it? Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we ask your, your blessing upon your word tonight. Lord, I pray that it would be a help. Lord, help me to stay true to it and not to veer from it. Lord, I pray that it would strengthen us, that it would generally draw us closer to you. Lord, so please work and guide. We pray that you would receive all the glory and honor. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior, we pray that even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Christ. So please work, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most written about, talked about discussions in the Christian life, of course, is prayer. Um, it is also, no doubt, the most neglected church discipline that we have, and that is prayer. It is the one thing that will get attacked in your life over and over and over. It involves, obviously, it involves a measure of work uh, when you're praying. It's one of the most important Christian disciplines that we have. Christ is now, he's actually sort of going to a positive aspect. He's been going through the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off talking about really how the way up is down and in, in, in the Beatitudes where he went from there, going into how we are the salt, uh, salt of the earth and the light of the world. Um, and then going into the importance of how we approach material things, of how not to seek the things of this world. Just simply seek God and your needs will be met. And then from there, when we got into chapter 7, he dealt with not only our approach to material things, but how we approach each other. We dealt with that last Sunday night with the most quoted verse that the world knows is judge not unless you be judged. And we dealt with that in context and, and we demonstrated how uh, what Christ was doing there in those several verses is teaching us how we are not to use truth to be critical of somebody else, but to use truth to be a help. So that was how we related to other people. And because so often you, you can you can find out something that's true that actually appeals to your pride and, and you want to appear better than somebody else. And so you'll use truth in a harmful way. 
instead of to be a help. And like Christ gave out the, gave out the solution, you just take the beam out of your own eye and then you can actually help somebody to take the little moat that's out of their eye. So the goal of truth isn't to make you look good. It isn't for you to be critical of somebody else. It's to change, number one, your life. And then hopefully you can be a help to somebody else as well. So he was dealing with how we approach God in relation, of course, to material things as he concluded chapter 6, and then, he, and then how, we, how it should affect us before others. And now he goes to prayer. And it, it, it ties into what he just got done saying. It ties in perfectly. And at the same time, he's given, obviously, a key to be successful in our Christian life is prayer. It is one of the greatest resources that we have been given to help us with our life. And it directly affects your prayer life. And this is where Christ, we're going to see he's going with this. Your prayer life has a direct bearing on your ability to properly relate to other people. All right. And we'll get into that here this evening. There's a lot of benefits that come from our prayer life. And so and, and we'll go through just a couple of them that are given to us in this text. So we're going to see here how using your prayer life is not only does it get you good things from God, as Christ mentions here, but it's the key to changing your own life, to being conformed to the image of Christ and how you relate to others. So let's dive into this here this evening. First off, we see that prayer is a key in verse seven and eight to receiving what we do need from God. Verse seven and eight are our verses we often quote. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Again, if you're, going to have a, if you're going to have a strong Christian life, it's impossible apart from a strong prayer life. It is. You will struggle greatly. I, I, I don't care if you're faithful to all the services. I don't care uh, how much Bible you're into each day. If the prayer life is weak... Your Christian life will be weak. It's essential and it's key. And when Christ introduces it here, he's dealing with, again, how we do get the things that we do need from God. The first thing I want you to notice is this, is one that God does, in fact, if Christ is teaching this, God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke it, and this universe came into existence. Think about this. He hears your prayers. Isn't that mind boggling? He actually hears your prayers. I, I remember many times it's thoughts like that that sometimes will hinder my prayer life and, and just thinking how amazing God good is. The question is not, was never in my mind, can God hear? It's just, why would he want to hear me? I mean, think of how amazing he is. There's, what, going on 7 billion people on the planet right now. And a, and a lot of times how, how I will picture it in my mind to help me focus on my prayer time is... I mean, I, I, I genuinely focus as if I'm coming right before that throne room, that I, have, that I get audience with him. And just that, that helps produce the humility going before it and, and understanding this is the creator of everything. But think about that thought. You have a direct line to God. The creator hears you. That's a truth. God hears you when you pray. See, one of the biggest hindrances to our prayer life is doubting God. But he does hear and he does answer prayers. We can, we can line the testimonies up. I could give them over and over of, of just amazing and seeing God working. And, and not just, I mean, and genuinely seeing God working. See, doubt, and trying to relate doubt, it's trying to give an illustration here to help, help doubt in your life, how it affects your prayer life, because it does. All right? It's kind of like the dead spot in your cell phone range. That's what doubt is. Doubt's the dead spot. 
Doubt is where you got no signal. All right? When you, it, with GCI, when I, when I go home and I turn from Lake Otis onto O'Malley, you hit a dead spot. It doesn't all the time go all the way out, but it drops down rapidly to one bar. There's something right there, and all of a sudden you can forget about anything taking place with the phone for a short distance. It's just a short time right there, but it's a dead spot that you hit when you turn onto O'Malley. Well, doubt is like that. It's, it's like that dead spot in your prayer life. It can overtake it. It hinders your communication with God. Now, remember, I've taught this. There, there's nobody that, that is without doubt. There's not. This is why we walk by faith, because doubt exists. If you have faith, that means doubt is present. Do you understand that? You can't have one without the other. I've given the illustration. Out. It's not mine. It was actually John R. Rice. I remember reading it when I was a teenager, and it, and it helps out tremendously. And he used a rope as an illustration of a measure of faith that you have. Where he said he had the rope strung to one end of the auditorium. It was on the other end. It was just a tight, like one of those shipping ropes. And he said, along this rope, your faith rests. You're somewhere on this rope. Every single person on the earth is, and that's true. God has given to every man a measure of faith. And on this wall would represent complete, absolute unbelief. The atheists on that, law would, on that wall would be those in heaven. They're, they're, they no longer have need of faith. It's been made sight. But everybody, some around here, some have great faith. Some have a little bit of faith. And, and, but remember, the key, the key is focusing on your faith. Lord, I believe, help mine. Unbelief. He didn't allow the doubt cause him to walk away. What he focused on was the faith. You focus on your faith. The fact is, God does hear you. And you also notice in this text that God desires to give us not everything we ask for, but the good things. Now, I assure you, your definition of good things and God's definition of good things do not look the same. God knows exactly what you need. Just like, just like when you're small and your parents put that food before you that you did not want to eat. But you knew you had to. Because it was good for you. Well, God knows exactly what's good for you in life. He knows what you need. And by the way, these verses are in no way that they're part of the false doctrine today of prosperity gospel. That God only wants you wealthy and healthy and, and, and uh, you know, life so full of carnal things, and that's just complete nonsense. This verse is not teaching a prosperity gospel at all. The verse is showing us that God gives us what is good, not everything we ask for. There, there was, I came across a, a quote in relation to this text. I want to give it to you. I thought it was excellent in dealing with prayer in relation to this text. It said this, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He did not give them so that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel a need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received very few things I asked for, but I received the things that I needed. God knows what you need in life. He desires to give you good things. It's just when we see that, we view it through this tainted, sinful flesh. Again, our view of good is not the same thing as God's view of good. His is much different. Within this context, he gives it in this wording here, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. 
And these are all these different imperatives that are given are present tense. That's important. Which means they're continual. The, 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 the Greek verb for each of those is a continual. So it's asking and asking and asking. It's seeking, seeking, and seeking. And it's knocking, knocking, and knocking. It's not just a one thing. It's a continual action is what he is describing. And so that gets into the same principle that Christ teaches several times when he was on the earth, the importance of persistence in your prayer life, of being persistent. We're not going to turn there, but I thought about going over to Luke 11, of course, with the friend coming at midnight. And so he goes to his neighbors and listen, I, I, I don't have enough food. I need some food. I don't have enough bread. Please give me some bread. It was the custom of the day, to, of course, to feed them. It was polite. It was right. And the friend says, listen, I'm in bed with my family. In the morning, I'll get, as soon as I get up, I'll give you what you need. And the friend, though, doesn't leave, does he? He stays there. No, no, no. I have to have it. I have to have it. Please, please, please let me have it. And he kept on bugging the guy. And Christ said, because of his importunity... He arose and gave him what he needed. Importunity means persistence. Because he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop. And so he gave him the same thing with the, with the widow and the judge. God was teaching on the importance of persistence in prayer. Uh, of us, it strength, He has a lot of reasons for it. It strengthens faith. It does so much for us. And, and it's true. Growing, growing up in my household, um, of, of the five kids, Heather was the most persistent one when she wanted something. I could tell Daniel usually, where's he at? Is he out there? Usher, you better be ushering and in church service back there. And uh, I don't care if you are 30 years old, whatever you are right now, I'll still whip you. And, uh, um, but I see it. Yeah, you're here. I, I know. I see it. <laughs> but Daniel, I could tell no. And All right. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, Rachel, I can just look at her. Okay. Bethany, I'd just make cry if I told her no, and she'd just start crying. But Heather, I'd say no. Two minutes later, Dad, please. No, Dad, please, 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 please. She was my living illustration of Luke 11. If we get to the point, fine, just go, take it. Persistence is key to getting the things that we want. And each of the things, by the way, if you notice the asking, seeking, and knocking, they deal with different areas of things that we do need from God. Right? The Lord knows we need things of Him. Each of those are just a different area of your life that you need for God that should be part of your prayer life. Um, asking are things that we do need or desire. It's asking. Uh, many times, of course, as James tells us, we simply don't receive the things because we don't ask God or we ask amiss. You know, there's other ways I, I could run with that right there, but I'm going to try and just stay with this text, this text, and that's it. But do remember, to get the things you do need, there is an asking and an asking that needs to take place, and make sure you're not asking amiss to consume it upon your own flesh. Okay? And then seeking is dealing with something well, that you need to find in your life. There's a seeking of something. Bringing that before God. So what is it that you're missing in life? What is it, what, what's something in your life before maybe that you had that you lost? Well, go before the Lord. Be persistent with it and persistent with it and persistent with it. Seek God for it. The knocking is something you've been shut, shut out from. Something's been closed to you. And it's the knocking and the knocking and the knocking and the knocking and the knocking. And I was, I was had some counseling this afternoon and some knocking occurred at the door. And they just weren't persistent enough. I figured, by the way, the knock, it sounded like it was probably small kids. wasn't too worried about it. And I, I usually won't get up when I'm counseling to answer the door. And, uh, but had they stayed persistent, guess what I would have had to have done? I would have had to get up, open the door, and say, what do you want? 
I always do that, don't I? I'm so mean when I open that door. Um, but knocking is something that's been closed to you in life. And so he's just dealing different areas of things that needs, different ways needs come up in our life through that. But persistence is key. You know, it's just not coming to God one time. I mean, it's like even, in, even when I have to get into God's Word to prepare something from God's Word to make sure I'm staying with the truth and going before the Lord and asking Him, it's just not just asking Him on Monday. That's not it. That's, that's not going to cut it. It's asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. Going before Him and before Him. Especially then all of a sudden if I get stuck on something and, and, and that's close to me, it's a whole lot of knocking now that has to take place. Um, persistence in prayer is key. And that's part of what Christ is teaching here. When you're asking over and over and seeking over and over and knocking over and over, it provides those needed ingredients in your life to begin to change you, to allow God to answer your prayers. Persistence does show faith. See, that guy who was at his friend, and that's always the key to prayer, faith, we know that. Remember, that showed faith. What that friend knew was, he can answer, he has the ability, I know he can. Your persistence shows you really believe God can do this. Okay? So it ties into your faith. It shows your heart is in it, and you avoid another thing that greatly hinders your prayer life, and that's vain repetition. An empty, dead Prayer life. Oh, you don't miss it. There's just nothing there when you do it. It's just empty, vain repetition. Persistence protects you from that as well. It not only helps your faith, but it protects you against a vain repetition. And it obviously shows obedience to the Lord. Now, let's get into the second thing here. Let me read 9 through 11. So we see here first, it deals with our, our relationship before God and how we approach prayer. Or excuse me, our, our relationship to the needs we have, excuse me. Now it's our relationship to God. Notice where he goes now, here in, in verse 9. Same subject still. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son uh, asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? It's obviously he's using sarcasm here. The answer to both is no, of course not. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now he covers prayer in our relationship to God. And I just stuck with the R because i got three R's. A relationship to prayer itself, a relationship to God, then a relationship to others. So the third one's going to be. But this is really dealing with how we approach God in prayer. God is a lot of things. We know that. He's creator. He's redeemer. We can go on and on with all that God is. But when it comes to prayer, here's Christ introducing it. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he says, when you approach God, we approach him as what? Our Father. As our Father. Based on that relationship, that's how we come to Him. You know, like I said, He's many things to all of us. But when it comes to prayer, you go to Him as your dad. That's your approach. The fact of God being our Father is the basis of God answering our prayers. His desire to hear and to answer. He answers our prayers as a father. And he, he brings up in the verses the well, earthly father who by nature is evil. But, you know, just, just like this morning, Levi came in the office and wanted to go to Kaladi. 
And so uh, I gave him a couple dollars and said, yes, um, sure, you can do that. I wanted, wanted to grant that. He came to me. He asked. I had the ability. I, I didn't say, no, here's a rock. Let that suffice for you. No. Why did I want to do that for him? Because he's my son. Amen. He's my child. And so when he comes to me for different things, the things that you can do, you want to say yes. There's, there's times my, my kids come to me and you just, no, no that's not going to happen. That's not it. Because it's not good for them, regardless of their perspective of it. It's not. So we come to God as the basis, as far as a relationship, that he is our father. That's the basis of how we come to him in prayer. He knows all things. He's unlimited in power. We come to him as, our, as a father. He wants to answer. Now, let me, let me say this. Perhaps some of you, and, I, and I've, I've come across that a few times, and that is a genuine hindrance to their walk with God, even after salvation at times, is they have had a horrible experience based on their earthly father. And that affects how they view God. It affects their approach to God. So if you had have... If you have had a horrible experience with the earthly father, and so you have trouble relating to God as father, let let me just remind you of this. You have to know this, that God meant for your father to take care of you, to protect you, to love you. Now, something might have happened in his sinful condition where those things did not take place, but that's not how God intended it. When we come to God in prayer, as we see here, He wants us to come to Him on the basis that He's our dad. And again, think of that in relation to your own kids. Now, when they come to you and, and there's something you can do, you're, you're more than happy to do it. We have a sinful nature. If that's true of us, how much, just like yes, how much more so of God who's perfect? See, until you genuinely believe God wants to hear, He wants to answer, He wants to provide things that you need, you're not going to go to Him. So we come to God based on a relationship to Him, that He is our Father. And He desires to hear us. And then lastly, number three, Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men shall do to you, do even to them, for this is the law and the prophets. At first glance, you might think, well, I don't, I don't, maybe wonder might be a better word. Why? Why is he going there? I mean, he uses the therefore. He's teaching on prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking. You know, you've got to stay persistent in your prayer life, in all the different areas that you need things from God. You approach God as your Father. He desires, because he loves you even so much more than your earthly dad does, he desires based on that relationship to answer your prayers. And then he makes this statement. Therefore, so as a result of that, he says this. Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So now he's tying into the fact of how your prayer life deals with your relationship to others. It does, it affects it. It is prayer that affects or changes how we respond to other people. Prayer changes you, we know that, it does. 
as I start off an introduction, it's key to our Christian life, our our growth. It it could be a barometer of where you're at with your walk. It can serve in so many different roles. It helps to change your life. Paul Bunyan said this, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. It's very true. You want victory over sin, start asking, seeking, and knocking. I mean, you should even deal with that sin issue, but I'm telling you, if you strengthen the prayer life, even if that's not part of it, you should pray for it. Don't misquote me on this, but I am telling you, even if that's not even part of the prayer life, that sin issue you're struggling with, but you're strengthening your prayer life of asking, seeking, and knocking, coming before the throne of grace every single day, know what you're going to find victory over? That sin. It changes you. You hear me stress over and over the importance of having a morning prayer time to help throughout the day. The reason why I do that, again, isn't so you can get things from God, even though we ask things from Him. That's not why. That's not why I stress it. It's because I know if you have that in place, it will help you stay focused on God. Another quote from Paul Bunyan. You can tell one of my sources. He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. That's true. He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Again, verse 12 starts out with a therefore. Because we are asking, seeking, and knocking, a direct result, therefore, should change us and change the way we relate to others. The principle given here, we're all familiar with, is called the golden rule. And he brings it up in this context. Interesting, isn't it? The golden rule is not a means of salvation. The world is wrong. They think, they think that this is one of the ways you go to heaven. It has nothing to do with salvation at all. It's not a road to heaven. It is a principle for Christians to live by. And listen, what we're seeing here, it's gonna come, the ability to do that is going to come as a result of a strong prayer life. It is. That's going to strengthen you to put you in a place where you're able to follow through with that golden rule. It'll change how you relate to others. For one, when you begin to see God working in your life and showing you grace, it changes how you respond to others. If we were just to get a glimpse of the amazing grace in each of our lives, it would change how we, how we relate to others. Now, the truth here is interesting. I found this interesting. Follow this. I think this is, this is interesting. This golden rule, the principle that Jesus introduces here, the negative side of this is in many world religions. All right? Let me give some, some of those out. Let's go into Judaism. Uh, one of the famous rabbis, one of the most famous of them, anyhow, he said this. He worded it like this. What is hateful to yourself, do not to others. Confucius. And what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Many different Greeks had similar philosophies of not doing to others what you don't want them to do to you. Notice the difference, though, when it's in the Word of God. That's the negative side of it. Christ goes to the other side of that. Do unto others what you'd have done unto you. 
two different motivations. One is based on self-preservation and fear. One is based on love. One is doing something. That's going to take love. That's an action. That's doing something for somebody else that you would like done unto you. That's directly tied. The other one is just, oh, I don't want that done unto me, so I'm not going to do it. That's fear. That's self-preservation. That is the motivation behind that. Christ talks about doing something. There's a big difference. One is based upon self-interest. The other one is based on love. Again, so your prayer life, what, what I find most helpful to me when I was going through this is, was verse 12 and where it, it, the fact that he put that right after he's teaching on prayer. Because prayer does change you. If you, if you find somebody who is always having trouble relating to others, you can't blanket this. I've come across many different causes, but many, many times, the prayer life will be weak. They have a weak prayer life because they simply don't have the power, the spiritual power in their life to put down the flesh, to respond right to somebody else. They don't have the desire to do unto others. They just have the desire to look out for self because self is all that's in control. And so they respond. They might do different things to manipulate that aspect of self, but it's not genuinely because my life is about God. It's about Him. One way that, that we, we deal with this sinful flesh that we are in that hinders us just moment by moment is simply on our knees before God, staying faithful to that. Listen, you need, you need a strong prayer life. How often? Multitudes are in here. Everybody's in the same boat. But there's multitudes in here and they'll come in and there's, there's some genuine, real problems going on. And I'll head to that. Well, let, let's, let's, let's go back to some basics here. How is the prayer life? I remember I had one person, and if they're in here, I forgot the name, so it's, it's not on purpose. But boy, they, they really missed what it was about. They said, well, I, they said, they said, well, I, they were being somewhat sarcastic, I think. I'm really not sure. They said, I, I don't know that I, would, that I would go to you for counsel. You're just going to tell me to read and pray. And because they hear that from it. And uh, um, little did they know they were discarding the strength they would need for any principle that I would give them. For any. Because I can give you all the principles to help your life change, but if you don't have the spiritual power to enact them, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. You wait to that heat of the argument with your wife. Let's see how much power you have in the flesh just to speak with grace if you're not right with God. So you come in and you say, well, I, you know, I'll pray, I'll, I'll pray you know, two times a week. Listen, it's not enough. It's not. Not only does it help you in your relationship to God to get the things you need, good things from God, it helps you in your everyday walk that out of a right, motivated heart of love, you would do unto others as you'd have done unto you. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, we come before God to get good things because He's our Father, as the text teaches us. We receive those things by persistence, asking and asking uh, seeking, seeking, and seeking, and knocking, and knocking, and knocking. Knowing that prayer also changes us and conforms us. And that helps meet our needs. But the greatest need any person has 
is that of salvation. And what I mean by that is this. Is that one day you are going to die and stand before Almighty God and He's going to judge you. And you need saved from that judgment. Because when He judges you, just like me, you're guilty. You've broken His law just like we all have. You see, in order to be saved from that judgment, we know from Scripture, 100% of those found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. Think about it. You're going to be judged of God. You are guilty. All of those who are guilty are cast into a lake of fire. That's a reality. You need saved from that circumstance, from that situation. Something has to happen to make you look perfect. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. God became a man. He is the only man that's ever lived on this earth that lived the perfect life. He's it. The only one who could stand before the Father at Judgment Day, he could say, you are innocent. He was perfect. But what he did was this. He decided to take your place in judgment in order to save you. When he went to the cross, and you hear that phrase, Christ died for you. When he went to the cross, he did die for you. In other words, what the Bible teaches us is he took all your sin upon himself as if he was the guilty one. And the Father judged him in your place. That's what we mean when we say he died for you because the wages of sin is death. He took your sin, the Father judged him, and God said, listen, that's enough, I'll take this. This will work. This will satisfy my justice. This will satisfy my holiness, which is who God is. He is just and he is holy. And as he takes your sin, he says, then I can give you my righteousness, which is perfect. You can look perfect before God. Jesus Christ died for you. Hell didn't hold him. It'll hold you. After three days and three nights, Jesus arose again from the dead, defeating death. He did that for you to save you. If you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he'll save you right there. June 30th of, 19, uh, of 1982, I heard that I placed my faith in Christ. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, please, I don't know for certain that I would go to heaven. I think I need that. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm not certain or I'm worried about it. Would you just raise your hand? Let me acknowledge you. You can put it right back down. I won't call you out. I see a couple of small children. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Let me see. You can put it back down. If you put it up, I did miss it. I would need you to do it again. All right. Christian. Prayer is one of the most amazing things that have been given to us. To know that the Creator hears us. He desires persistence. It will faith. It demonstrates faith. It keeps your heart in the prayer. It shows genuine need. And he says, when you come to me, you come to me as your father. The one who desires to do good things for you. Not only does God let us know here, will I use prayer to be helped to you in those areas, but therefore, know what else I'm going to do with that? I'm going to use that prayer time to change you. To put you in a place where you can follow that golden rule. To do good unto others as you'd have done unto you. There's a reason why it's in that context. If you have something to come and pray about, you come and pray this afternoon, this evening. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Please bless this invitation. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 509. If you need to come and pray here this evening, you come and pray.